When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 580! 397! Oh, you know what time it is. 3 o'clock Central Time, 4 o'clock here in Cincinnati at the. Pro Football Focus offices uh, going to be here tomorrow as well, and we'll make an attempt to catch up with Chris Collinsworth, a very busy man, but uh, got a chance to meet him yesterday here at the PFF offices, so it's been an extremely cool week for me, and as I described it to you yesterday, Eric, it's like playing in the uh, playpen at Burger King for me. Only Except for the, the ball pit isn't the most disgusting thing of germs right. that I've ever seen, yeah. but yeah. And you guys actually keep this place fairly clean for a bunch of football dudes. Uh, you do a good job with that. So I was on your podcast earlier, uh, PFF Forecast. There are multiple podcasts. But if you want, before we do Hot Routes, Eric, you can tell our audience what exactly they should do if they want more PFF content. Yeah, absolutely. So we just changed our URL, pff.com. It was, it was the like Pakistani Football Federation was what it was. Uh, and so we, we now... Wait, how'd you get that away from uh, It would cost a pretty penny. So uh, so we have pff.com. Uh, I would love to hear the negotiations. It, it was unreal. I mean, I think it made... Does anybody here speak Pakistani? <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, so we have a couple different, uh, obviously there's free stuff on the website, so if you want to go and read uh, the articles that we have, there's tons of you know free stuff. We also have two subscription services that will give you extra articles, fantasy projections, stuff for gambling, all that kind of stuff. We have a what's called an Edge subscription, which I believe is in, on the order of $20, $30 a year, and then there's what's called an Elite subscription, which is about 200 a year, uh, and, and so those are the, your, your different options. We also have two podcasts. Uh, those are free. Those are up on YouTube and iTunes podcast. One one is, I think, the PFF podcast. The other one's called the PFF Forecast, which I co-host 
with George Shahuri. And then uh, we have tons of content additionally on YouTube. So a lot of free stuff for people. And then if you want to su- subscribe, we have uh, a ton of uh, you know sort of paywall content as well. Excellent. So PFF Forecast is the one I was on. So if you're just dying to get more of me talking about, well, actually, I talked about Diet Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. It was um, good. Kale. I said that if uh, kale was in a leaf lineup, that I wouldn't be able to pick <laughs> it out. I have no idea. What, I may have eaten it today. I'm not even sure. I had a salad with... It did uh, look like you had some kale, actually. Really? Yeah. Did I accidentally consume some kale? Was it bitter? I'm not sure. I mostly focused on the really delicious chicken. Uh, anyway, and, and of course, not that healthy chicken that's grilled. This was the... The, the fried The, the breaded fried... Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get to it, Jonathan. Let's ramp up the NFL music and get to the hot routes for today. Okay, here's where we begin. I love pro football talk on Twitter, and I'll tell you why. Because of headlines like this. The Broncos are taking it one day at a time. That is an actual headline from pro football talk on Twitter. Same. I mean, yep. Amazing approach. Yep. Revolutionary, really. (laughs) One day at a time for the Broncos. Uh, So let's not take it one day at a time. Let's jump ahead in time with the Denver Broncos. At the end of this year, are we talking about how we are shocked that the Denver Broncos and Joe Flacco all proved everyone wrong? Are we talking about John Elway as a laughing stock of an executive? Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's strange how you can sort of um, anchor on a guy, right? You win one Super Bowl, you get one, Pey- you know, you get Peyton Manning in the fold, and everybody that's sort of like that stays with you a lot longer than maybe it should. Um, we have Denver with about a nine percent chance of winning the AFC West and about a twenty-four percent chance uh, of making the playoffs. So I think you're far more likely to see them more in an embarrassing role that, <laughs> than in a in, than in a surprising one. Maybe same for me as well there. Uh, what do you think, Jonathan? Are you buying any Denver Broncos stock? I am staying away from their stock. If those are the only two options between being the surprise of the AFC West or John Elway being a laughing stock, I'm leaning more towards him being a laughing stock because the Chiefs are going to run away with that division. Chargers will finish second, and then it's between either the Raiders or the Broncos for third. Okay, I've got it. Joe Flacco once again goes down early in the season with an injury, and another rookie comes in and leads them to the playoffs. Drew Locke? Anybody thinking Drew Locke will be good? I'm not really. No? Eric? No. Uh, okay. Drew Locke is is, uh, is closer probably to Josh Allen than he is to Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Let's just put that on the spectrum there. Okay, so we're all on the same page. No one's buying the Denver Broncos. And poor John Elway. It's uh, never... You know how they say never meet your heroes? Well, I totally disagree. I mean, I've met people that I really liked uh, as a kid. Thurman Thomas is a great example. So Thurman Thomas as a kid is my favorite player. I meet him as a doll. He's a great guy. He's the best. And so you're like, well, don't meet your heroes. Well, that's bogus. Don't let your heroes become executives of your favorite team. Now that I would advise. Yeah, I think think it shows like sort of the limitations of genius. That's probably right, yeah. A genius with the football in his hands, maybe not as an executive. Uh, Second hot route here. Tony Romo says he expects Jason Witten, his old pal, who is, remember this, guys, coming back to the NFL after a year sitting out. This is one of those, like, for one day, it's almost like politics with this, too. For one day, you go, wow, holy bleep, can you believe this is happening? And then two days later, you're like, wait, what? I don't even remember that. Um... So I won't say anything more about the political element of that, but with football, it's the same way. It just, you know, it moves quickly. And Jason Witten is back. I want you guys to give me the player who retired fairly recently 
that you would love to see make a comeback? Uh, for me, I think it's uh, Patrick Willis. Uh, you know, he retired, you know, kind of in that same time as Chris Borland did with uh, the 49ers as well. But just a tenacious linebacker, great player, sort of everything football. And he, I think he retired probably a few, too, few years too early. Could have dragged it out a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Mine would be Joe Thomas, just because the the Browns Great are pick. finally good, and I want to see him in the, and I would have wanted to see him in the playoffs. So Joe Thomas for me. I think that is a great selection, and you're you're very right, Jonathan. The poor Joe Thomas did have one winning season, but he never got into the uh, into the playoffs, and will easily go into the Hall of Fame. Fascinating conversation once on his podcast where he was asked whether he would give up all the Pro Bowls for one Super Bowl, and he's like. I made a lot of money off those Pro Bowls, okay? I mean, like, I get where you're going with this, but uh, he's like, a lot of guys win the Super Bowl. Not a lot of guys make as much money as me and go in the Hall of Fame. So uh, that, that, that fun podcast that Joe Thomas does, and he's uh, doing stuff on NFL Network, too, so I'm a big yep, fan of he's his. He's very good. I will give you mine. This guy, I don't know if he made it official or when he made it official that he retired, but I will go with Percy Harvin that Percy Harvin had all those injuries and problems, and in 2015, he came back with the Bills, and this is what players do when they're shot, like Sean Merriman. They show up with the Bills for a half a season, and no one ever remembers they played there. And Percy Harvin, I am am not kidding you, was amazing in those couple of games. Mm -hmm. He was just every bit as awesome as Percy Harvin is in those five games he played. He had 19 catches in five games and was explosive, and and the other thing, too, was he had built this great relationship with the Bills wide receivers coach, and they felt like he was even getting a little bit better, which, amazingly, he was only 27 at the time in 2015 when he played for the Bills. I just wish that Percy Harvin had had a healthy, full 10- to 12-year career in the NFL. I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer if that happens. Yeah, him throwing a, a weight at Brad Childress is still one of the best stories of all time in Vikings history. <laughs> well, there's no question about that. All right, uh, our next hot route. Joe Theismann was asked about Alex Smith's horrific injury because, of course, you have to. I mean, imagine having a great career like Joe Theismann, and you only get phone calls when someone's knee rips off of the rest of their leg. Like, just that's the only time anyone's checking in with Joe Theismann. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he said that Alex Smith's injury was just like his, which is really bad news for Alex Smith's future. Uh, and Smith just had his uh, brace removed. Now, uh, how mm-hmm. long ago did this happen? It was like an air and cast. He just thing, yeah. got it removed. So that kind of points to Alex Smith never playing again. Start with you on this one, Jonathan. If Alex Smith does indeed never step on a football field again, how will you remember Alex Smith? I'm going to remember him as a late bloomer whose career ended probably too soon. It just seemed like when he finally got to Kansas City away from San Francisco, his career really started to take off as a game manager, and he did a really good job at that, throwing way more touchdowns than he did picks and just being able to lead a team. And his career winning percentage is actually pretty dang good for a guy who you don't think of as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I do think he'll be underrated in the minds of most. And the 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 crazy thing for me is, you know, as somebody who follows Kansas City a lot, is you know he took that franchise back to respectability. Yeah. The year before he yeah. showed up, they were two and fourteen. You he got and, Tyler Thigpen there. Yeah, Brady <laughs> Quinn and Matt Castle were oh, the year right, before. Yeah. 
and they went two and fourteen. He comes in. He was he won more than two thirds of his games with Andy Reid. And the 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 bad thing is, is a lot of Chiefs fans now talk about him disparagingly because of how good Mahomes is sure, yeah. in relation to him. But really, Alex Smith should be remembered fondly, especially by Chiefs fans, as somebody who who took that franchise and put it in position where a brilliant quarterback can probably take them to being a Super Bowl contender. So I I have very fond memories of Smith. I early on he very much struggled, but he he carved out a nice little career for himself. I think I will always marvel at some of the statistics with Alex Smith in terms of his touchdown-to-interception ratio, which is astoundingly good. Think about uh, Kirk Cousins. I'll pull this up for you. Kirk Cousins, every year of his career, has double-digit picks. And I don't think of Kirk Cousins as a reckless quarterback. Not entirely. I mean, he makes mistakes, but he's not somebody like Winston who's constantly throwing picks. The uh, last time Alex Smith threw 10 interceptions or more in a season was 2010. He went from 2011 to his final year in Washington in 2018 without throwing double-digit interceptions. That is madness. That is insane. I mean, Mm -hmm. even the best quarterbacks will just end up randomly with 11 picks or or something like that one year. He has the distinction of being benched twice um, after having great historical seasons. In 2017, (laughs) he led the NFL in passer rating and gets replaced by Patrick Mahomes. And in 2010, Eleven, no, twelve. Twelve. He got replaced by Colin Kaepernick, despite you know similar statistics. So, you know, he is always that player where I think the fans and the team thought they could do better, and in many cases could, but still doesn't diminish how great he was as a sort of a middle of the road quarterback. He had a hundred and four quarterback rating when he was benched, and and they gave it to Colin Kaepernick, which worked out for them. They went to the Super Bowl yeah. and almost won it. But still, it how was, crazy is that? He had a concussion, and then that Monday night game against Jason Campbell's Bears. They started Kaepernick, and then they never. It was sort of this Jason great Campbell's excuse Bears. for the Niners to bench him without benching him. Uh, so he ends up with a ninety-four, sixty-six, and one career record in the NFL. I will think of him as a guy who probably wins a Super Bowl if Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning were not in the AFC all at the same time. Yep. Uh, for for a really long time, very very good player, Hall of very good for me. Our next one, uh, Bears head coach Matt Nagy. And again, I loved watching that last night because when Cody Parkey misses the field goal, they go right to Nagy's face, and it's just mouth agape, totally stunned. Which makes no sense because he missed kicks all year. I know, right. (laughs) Uh, So he is telling Chicago fans to remember the hurt of Cody Parkey doinking that field goal in the playoffs. Do you think that Minnesota fans... Would love anyone telling them to remember the hurt of Blair Walsh. I know what he's getting at. He's saying, so when we win, it'll be better. But just like, really, buddy? Remember There's no the guarantee the better will come. Can you imagine a Bears fan? You think about 01, right? They got beat. Like, 06, they get beat in the Super Bowl. 2010, they got beat by the Packers in the AFC t- NFC title game at home. Like... Vikings fans should know better than anybody. The the the, the winning doesn't necessarily isn't a no. isn't a nece- necessity in terms of coming after the the heartbreak. The one year that it looks like they can actually do it, and the team is insanely stacked, and Jay Cutler is playing out of his skull, and then he gets hurt Breaks in the playoff. Caleb right. Haney, yeah. Uh, all right, so I want you guys to give me something in sports where you will always remember the hurt. In 2009, I was still very much a Vikings fan, yep. um, as like not a not a you know I wasn't a professional in the business or anything. So I very much went to my one of my good friends in grad school's house. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana, and we watched the game together. And 
I remember having a, a migraine that day for no other reason than just this random day, and the 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 collection of my migraine headache coupled with him saying we're going to the Super Bowl <laughs> as Garrett Hartley splits the uprights oh. with a kick I thought he'd never make uh, is a hurt I will never forget. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. As as a kid in college who is still very much a Vikings fan, that interception by Brett Favre still hurts. The the interception in New Orleans still hurts. It's the one Super Bowl that I couldn't watch because it just felt too painful to go back and or to go and watch that Super Bowl when you feel like your team should have been there. I remember when Chester Taylor ripped off that long run on that drive. I said, "Are we actually going to do it?" Right? And of course not, because <laughs> why would we? Because we're Vikings. Why would Jed it likes to talk about how someone turned to him and it might have been Chip and said, "I think we're going to the Super Bowl," yeah. and Judd's like. Wait, <laughs> do not say that just yet. This is the Minnesota Vikings. So for me, this is a complicated question, even though I wrote it. Because I could say the Music City Miracle, which we've talked about before, how it was clearly a forward pass, and Frank Wycheck should have been arrested after the game for throwing a forward pass, that a forward pass clearly led to that, and it was a forward pass. But I don't know if that was so much as hurt as it was just anger. Like, how did you do that? I mean, how did you allow it to happen that nobody ever throws a lateral? In fact, it took from that for like 10 more years before anyone even threw a lateral for a touchdown off of a kickoff. And it only happened twice since that time that there had been a lateral that ended up going for a touchdown. So how, of course, could you do this? So it's more of like rage for that. Where something hurts me is when a team that I cannot stand that I desperately want to lose ends up winning. Or there's an underdog that I just so wanted to see to go to victory that ends up losing. So uh, for me, it was actually the Kurt Warner Arizona Cardinals who lost on the touchdown. I broke a remote control when that happened. I was so enraged that Pittsburgh had won because Pittsburgh is just one of those franchises that wins all the time. And Kurt Warner coming back from this awful era with the New York Giants, they had such a likable team in Arizona. It would have been such a great story. And when they came back with that Fitz touchdown, it's like, oh my gosh, this is happening. This is one of the great underdog Super Bowl teams that I can ever remember. And instead, Pittsburgh goes down and just wins the Super Bowl because they're Pittsburgh, and that's what they do. Well, I remember telling my friend, you know, somebody's like, who are you rooting for today? I was like, well, I'm rooting for Arizona because I don't think they'll ever get back. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, so I kind of want to see them win it, you know? And when and that's sort of always been my mantra. It's like Tampa Bay's like won a Super Bowl, 0-2. They've never even sniffed it since. Sort of the same thing. Arizona, 2015, they had a nice little run. But you never know. We're just like Pittsburgh, although Pittsburgh hasn't won since either. But... Uh, that was sort of it, well, it was sad to see that happen because it was sort of the end of the era for two players. And this is where I get along super well with Minnesota Vikings fans. Is anything to do with the Yankees winning hurts me. Yeah, I mean, now they have kind of a likable team, and I don't have the same feeling. But when they went out and got Sabathia and Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez, I mean, I just wanted the ocean to overflow and take over Yankee Stadium and never to be seen again. It was just so gross when they won. I think it was 2009 when they beat Philadelphia. And Philly still had Pedro. It's like this old Pedro who couldn't make it four and a half innings anymore. I desperately wanted to see Pedro win and beat the Yankees, and it didn't happen. So that hurt me, I guess, to see Alex Rodriguez get to win a World Series. Final one, guys. Uh, Baker Mayfield still bizarrely has a chip on his shoulder about Hugh Jackson. Like, what did Hugh Jackson do to you? 
Well, I think nothing. That's the point. Nothing. He, he did nothing. Uh, well, but he also didn't, like, I don't know, offend you or say anything right, right. bad about you after the fact or whatever else, and yet he's still mad at him. So he said that last year the reason that he did some things and yelled at Hugh Jackson on the sideline was that he wanted revenge against Hugh last year. I want you guys to give me the revenge game of the Vikings schedule for this year. What is the revenge game? Revenge. Well, game. Well, Whoever, if you look at the history, if you look at the history of the Vikings, they almost all but one of the teams the Vikings lost to in the NFC Championship game they play this year. <laughs> so week one against the Falcons, yeah. uh, they play the Eagles in week five. They play the Giants, Giants. in week four. Uh, they face they face Washington in week eight or so. Dallas, I believe, uh, two weeks after that. So and then they face two teams they lost to in the Super Bowl in the Raiders and the Chiefs. <laughs> so the revenge there's, potential there's, is there's fantastic. All kinds of, the one that I think is the biggest revenge game is uh, November third at Arrowhead. The Chief, the, the Vikings' only Super Bowl where they were favored and lost was in Super Bowl four against the Chiefs. So they will avenge that. They in will avenge that early loss November in early November <laughs> uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> this one's for Fran. <laughs> Take that, Hank Stram. <laughs> Mine's going to be either of the Bears games for different reasons. The first Bears game because they want to avenge the uh, the loss at the end of last season yep. at home. And then the last game of the season against the Bears at home will be because they probably lost that game in Soldier Field. So they're trying to avenge that loss earlier in the season. Will they be able to bear down and get revenge? Wow. Am I right, everyone? Uh, wow. They probably couldn't bear to see it in Chicago. Uh I think that the underrated revenge game here comes December 2nd against the Seattle Seahawks because the Seattle Seahawks have just owned Owned them for different reasons. One being Blair Walsh gave them a hell of a lot of help with a shank to the left. But then also they earlier in that season smoked the Vikings, if I'm not mistaken. And last year... They had a guy illegally jump over the center and block a kick that never should have been allowed. Uh, They had Eric Hendricks jump for a ball that he could have run for a pick six if he hadn't jumped to intercept it. All sorts of things went nightmarishly wrong. John DeFilippo was fired after the game. It, It was... Plus, Just they wore those like mess. neon green jerseys. Yeah, like, if you, which is you offensive get, enough. Yeah, anytime you get beaten those jerseys, the revenge is warranted. So I say the December second matchup against Seattle is the revenge game. But on the other side, Case Keenum could be his revenge coming back to Minnesota. That's true. That is your hot routes for today. Uh, coming up next, we'll talk with Austin Gale. Who does what does he do here, Eric? Uh, editor, editor in chief type role. Has yeah, the fo- better titles? Uh, yeah, a- analyst. All, you know, all around great guy. So looking forward uh, to having this, him. This will be my long lasting imprint on Pro Football Focus. I'm going to get better titles. Like he lists. Listen to this. Austin Gale in his Twitter profile. Senior content and strategy analyst. What the hell is that? He could be anything. He could be. Like I know. A that's what coach. I mean. Like what? Yeah. What is we're gonna come up with a better title for Austin Gale, who's gonna join us next, and we'll discuss the Minnesota Vikings defense. He's put a lot of effort into it. He also did a cool interview before the draft with Garrett Bradbury, and we'll try to talk about that as well from the Pro Football Focus offices in. Join me and Dan Terhar this Saturday night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and Real Salt Lake. Pre-game at 8.30 p.m. Kickoff at 9 right here on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com and the Score North mobile app. 
All right, we are back here from the PFF offices in Cincinnati. Matthew Collar, Eric Eager, and joining us now, listen to this wonderful title, Senior Content and Strategy Analyst, Austin Gale. What? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, it, it, the title's a little long-winded, but the way I like to put it is uh, I kind of run the website, and I'm kind of an editor-in-chief. The reason content's in there is that, you know, website element, editing, writing, you know, trying to figure out what ideas we want to push forward in a given week throughout the season, and that strategy element is thinking about the website and how we want it structured, thinking about products within the subscription. It, I, I wear a lot of hats. I think Eric puts it best. I wear a lot of hats, play a lot of different roles, but uh, bottom line is here, you know, contributing to the consumer side of PFF. So when you, let's say, you're at some sort of uh, social outing and you meet someone you've never met before, oh, and this is, this is Austin, here's what he does for PFF, he's the blank. I mean, what's the short version? Because if you just said that to me in like a loud bar, I'd be like, "Please leave, sir." I like I like editor in chief. Okay, that's that a good way to shorten yeah, that it down. Works. I like shorten it down like that. I think you could do that. This is this is way too convoluted. And you guys are like, if if you're going to be at the forefront of football now, you've got to sign sound nerdy but cool. Mm-hmm. And like, absolutely, senior content and strategy analyst. It's All nerdy, nerdy, no cool, no cool, exactly. Uh, but you have done some really cool work uh, around the Minnesota Vikings defense. And one guy that we just have not talked about at all, which is amazing that we could get so close to camp and have somebody who has been left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this person's importance to the Vikings defense, Mackenzie Alexander. And you are high on him from what you saw last year. Absolutely. So a lot, you know, a big part of my offseason is watching players that we saw grade really well in stretches or maybe throughout the season and trying to you know get an idea of projecting them forward into 2019. You're looking at Mackenzie Alexander's tape from specifically from weeks 10 to 17. You're in the highest coverage grade among slot cornerbacks. The second highest catch rate allowed, or the second lowest catch rate allowed. First ranked forcing completion percentage, ranked fifth in passer rating allowed. There really wasn't a better slot corner down the stretch of last season than Mackenzie Alexander. Mm. And you look at the state of the NFL, Eric Eager alongside me right now, slot EPA is getting higher for the offensive side. It's becoming a more valuable position for slot corners. So Mackenzie Alexander is a very valuable piece to this Minnesota Vikings defense. It's a position that every defense is searching for right now. It's it's why Justin Coleman is getting paid. It's why Chris Harris Jr. is getting paid. Mm -hmm. Good slot cornerback are very valuable in today's NFL. So it's interesting to me because Mackenzie Alexander, when he came to the league, did not want to play slot corner. He wanted to be an outside corner because outside corners get paid. At least he never said that directly to me. I want to get paid eventually, but that was always my impression is when he played well at Clemson on the outside, he thought, yeah, I'm that lockdown, shutdown corner that everyone wants to be when they play that position. But... I don't know when the, the turning point was for it becoming really clear to me. Maybe when Nikel Roby Coleman was extremely undervalued by Buffalo and signed with the Rams, and then the Rams defense took that huge jump with Wade Phillips, and he was just a star, played extremely well. I thought, man, this position is really becoming something. And then he got paid. They paid him a lot of money to keep him. And I, I think we're seeing more and more of that. Plus, look at how much Adam Thielen lines up in the slot. Look at how much Michael Thomas lines up in the slot. It's like everybody has figured out, oh, yeah, if you take your best receiver and put him in the slot, <laughs> he's even better. Oh, absolutely. And a large reason because of that is because not a ton of teams have a good slot cornerback right now. You look at every team is searching for it. There are a few teams, the Chargers with Desmond King, the Rams with Nicole Roby Coleman, and maybe the Vikings with Mackenzie Alexander that actually have a strength in the slot. Everyone else is really desperately looking for a player that can own the slot. And I think that's what Mackenzie Alexander can be if he continues this trend and gets comfortable in the position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those where we saw it as Vikings fans, right? The Antoine Winfield sort of revolutionized the position 
and became that player that can like sort of go in and play linebacker. Because the concern is always, if we play too many defensive backs, are we going to get gashed against the run? But then there are some players now, they know that as a prerequisite for that position, they have to be tough, they have to come into the box, and they have to make plays on early downs. If you can do that, you have so much flexibility. It's why you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, we saw a predominantly slot corner in college, drafted in the top 15 last year. We see Justin Coleman, as Austin said, get a contract extension. Aaron, Cole, Aaron Colvin got a big contract. Uh, from uh, Houston last season, so we're starting to see the market change a little bit, um, but it's still uh, this sort of like efficiency hack that if you're a team and you have a great slot corner, uh, you know you can build a defense pretty cheaply with that. Very interesting to me of how Mike Zimmer has always had an eye on this himself, that when you talk about being kind of ahead of the game, that the defenses are always falling behind the offenses and trying to catch up. Well, when Zimmer got to Minnesota, he went out and got Captain Munderland from, I think he was with Carolina first and then over to Minnesota. Just that undersized but really tough, great tackler kind of guy. And then they draft Mackenzie Alexander with the same sort of profile, the same sort of height and strength, things like that, to be in that position with Zimmer understanding that if you have that guy. And and, uh, what I'm really intrigued by is teams who are put in a bind by opposing personnel with two tight ends and things like that and how they're going to manage, I guess, as we go forward as offenses know this hack of throwing in two tight ends, which the Vikings will definitely be doing this year. And if you have slot corners who are tough and who can tackle like Antoine Winfield could, to me, that's a massive, massive advantage. And I think Alexander has that ability, too. Yeah, you know, the the interesting thing with that, though, is that the league doesn't have enough tight ends anymore. You know, we were so spoiled for like five, ten years ago where you had Gates and you had Witten and you had, you know, Gronk and you had all these players that were great down the field players. I mean, what 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 better the Vikings make? They're make they're making the bet that Kyle Rudolph will hang on for another year, and Irv Smith will become you know a one of the few young tight ends, athletic tight ends, smaller tight ends that ends up being really good in year one, two, or three, and that's a tough bet to make. And so you know when you're defensively, you know you, when you bring in those extra corners, I, I think offenses sort of like maybe are overconfident in this idea that they can beat that with two tight ends. And you're only really preparing for a small percentage of the league if you're building your defense around you know opposing teams that run a lot of two tight ends. I think the San Francisco 49ers were one of maybe two teams that ran 11 personnel less than 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of teams are running 11 personnel right now to a point where the base defense is becoming a slot corner, two corners, and more of that 4-2 or 3-3 look that you do see. Yeah, that's a great point. Talking with uh, Austin Gale, you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin G-A-Y-L-E. He is the senior content and strategy analyst here at Pro Football Focus. Uh, on the matter of the Vikings defense, I was saying earlier to Eric that I've heard some people say, different analysts, well, that Vikings defense needs to bounce back from last year, too. And that just blows my skull out of, uh, or blows my brain out of my skull because I just, I, like, w- wait, when was it bad? One game in Los Angeles? And I guess Buffalo, when you turn the ball over a couple times early in the game, I guess. But aside from that, I thought last year the defense did an incredible job considering the injuries they had in the absence of Everson Griffin. What are you seeing from the Vikings defense as a whole for this year? Well, you have to hope Everson Griffin bounced back. You know, when he was good in 2017, this pass rush was one of the better ones in the NFL. We project this pass rush to be very good. Losing Sheldon Richardson won't help things, but a good Everson Griffin and a continuing to trend up, Daniil Hunter, makes this pass rush very good. And they have enough talent in the secondary. Harrison Smith had a little bit of a down year from his standards. It still was above a 70.0 overall grade, but Harrison Smith getting back into the 90s. Everson 
Everson Griffin getting back into the 90s from a pass rushing perspective. That's what brings this defense back to its strength. I don't think it was terrible last year, but getting it back to where it's a strength and you're limiting teams to you know below the NFL average, that's where this Minnesota Vikings team needs to be, especially with the offense they have in, you know, in place. The offensive line's not going to be great. Kirk Cousins, you know his limitations. I still think this defense needs to be a strength for this team if they're going to go deep. I think they feel the exact same way that... <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, we would kind of laugh at them if they told us, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to win with defense and running. But in a lot of ways, that's going to have to happen. Delvin Cook will have to stay healthy, more likely than not, for them to succeed, and the defense will have to be every bit as good as it was. One number that astounded me that I ran across last year is that since Zimmer got here, the Vikings are not just the best defensive team on third down. They are about 5% better than the next best defensive team, which I think is maybe the Ravens, on third downs. And I don't think that's going to change, right? I mean, as long as you have somebody who can dial up things on third down like Zimmer can and the talent that you have on this defense, I think they'll just continue to be this good and it raises your floor. Even if you think they're going to go under 10 wins, what's the lowest they can be with a defense that's this good? Yeah, they're they're never a team that I think will bottom out with Zimmer because the strange thing about defense is that it doesn't win championships generally, but it also, the, the existence of a great defense will keep you from, I mean, that's how, you know, last season we saw they weren't very good, but they did beat Detroit twice. They beat, uh, I almost said Buffalo. They beat the, the, the New York Jets. They beat, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins. Like, you beat good, you beat like crappy teams by playing great defense and just not being terrible offensively. And I think the Vikings, that's like always their baseline. The, the question, of course, is that can they beat the better quarterbacks in the NFL? Can they beat the, the better teams? And that's really, you know, I think where, where Zimmer's fallen short at times. Uh, Austin, on the offensive side of the ball, you did a great interview leading up to the draft with Garrett Bradbury. It's been my impression that he is a dude that is extremely serious about his craft, which I think if you were going to give me all the things, all the numbers and everything else and all the scouting reports for players and what would correlate most to success in the NFL, guys who are technicians, guys who care most about the technique, I think that succeeds in the NFL if they re- not just they tell you that, but they really buy into that. And Garrett Bradbury strikes me as that kind of guy. Absolutely. Technicians and guys that are committed to improving and athletes. This is a former tight end at NC State that mm-hmm. added weight, became a center there, and learned the position on the fly and became one of the best in the college football. At PFF, he graded as one of the best run-blocking centers in college last year. He's a great outside zone run-blocking center. He was talking to me in that interview. He said, we knew teams knew we were going to run outside zone. We just mm-hmm. did it better than they could defend. And sure. he, was, he mastered that system. He talked to me about what he looks at for defensive players on a pre-snap read. He's looking at knuckles. He's looking at stance. Which foot are they coming at with first? This guy is committed mm-hmm. to being very good, being above what his athleticism provides him. And I think that's what's going to last long, specifically at that center position. It's such a cerebral position, mm-hmm. and he's a very cerebral player, a technician, like you said. Yeah, it, he impressed me right away with just how serious he was and the tone that he struck. And you could tell that he's an older guy. Like, he's 24 and a lot of the prospects that come out, they're 21 or somewhere in that range, 22. And he had an NFL-style demeanor at the podium, even at a younger age. I remember last year, I think I told you this, Eric, but when Brian O'Neill got there, he was kind of like all smiles when he got to training camp. By the end of training camp, it was like he's seen some things. He went up against Daniil Hunter every day for two weeks, and the, the demeanor was different. And even though he showed a great deal of toughness in his first year, it was like, okay, you're growing up fast here. Here in the NFL, and I think Bradbury's a guy that 
even though it's very hard for offensive linemen to step in right away and be very good, he's got a great chance to do that, especially because it's the right system. And speaking of that serious demeanor, I have a fun anecdote from Garrett Bradbury's interview. While other players before games will listen to kind of pump-up music, rock, your Metallica, or whatever it may be, he says he likes to listen to a smooth classical jazz, no lyrics. <laughs> he sits in, listens to his jazz, you know, prepares his game plan, and he really goes into this all business, no mm. fun. He really approaches the game from a business perspective, and I think that speaks to that serious demeanor you talk about. So you do, for PFF, uh, interviews and and you get a chance to do some of the journalism side uh, of what PFF does here. And you did a couple of interviews this offseason with some gophers. Uh, Carter Coughlin was one of them, and then also Tyler Johnson, who everybody seems to be high on. What did you learn that you could tell us with your journalist hat on about the Gophers. <laughs> that's great. Uh, with Tyler Johnson specifically, starting with him, very soft-spoken dude. He's not a guy that's real flashy, in my opinion, for coming away from the interview. Very committed to getting better. He doesn't think I mean, he thinks highly of himself, but he doesn't show it. You know, mm-hmm. he's a guy that says, "I need to get better at this. I'm working to get better at that." I said, you know, I was praising him in the interview, saying, "We we see you as such a great route runner. You have such great releases." He's like, "Yeah, I need to get better. I need. I'm working mm-hmm. on routes right now. My hands need to get better." He's a guy that reminded me a lot of Amari Cooper in a sense, just from a demeanor standpoint in that he wasn't a guy that approached the interview saying I want to be the best wide receiver in college football he said I need to be better and this is a guy that was a former quarterback at at high school that was going to play maybe defensive back for Minnesota but the coach at the time said no this guy's playing wide receiver and he's been very good ever since and and what about Carter Coughlin you just tweeted something 17 minutes ago so right before this that you had a chance to talk to the Gophers linebacker. He was kind of the complete opposite. A very energetic, <laughs> energetic, you know, guy who he you know, first thing he said to me is I want to be the best pass rusher in college football. He says I told him about there's so many good, you know, pass rushers in the Big 10. You got Chase Young, AJ Espinosa. He's like I want to be better than all of them. And he also something with pass rushers. I've interviewed a lot of pass rushers over the last couple of years, Brian Burns, Josh Allen among others, and what I want to find out about them is how much do they know about pass rush moves? How much do they sure. know about the pass moves they're good at and the pass rush moves they need to add and mm-hmm. he instantly he said I know speed's my best move I need a counter I'm not going to be good in the NFL unless I have a bull rush counter he said sure. I bulked up I'm up to 245 a solid 245 and I'm working to add that pass rush move he says he likes his chop his chop swipe and his inside chop spin, but he said he needs to get better from a bull rush perspective. And just that terminology alone speaks to how committed to this guy is to getting better. See, it's one of the things that I like about going into the Vikings locker room specifically is when you can show an interest in the technique and the strategy part of it and players get into talking with you about mm-hmm. it so it's almost like they forget the microphone is there they forget that the interview is there they're just talking ball with you and that's where i i feel like you can gain the most because if you went up to carter coughlin and asked him you guys going to beat wisconsin this year mm-hmm. then you're usually going to get the kind of well yeah you know or whatever and every once in a while someone gives you some hot quote that you can't really do anything with other than get a you know, a few retweets, but with something like that, learning about uh, you know somebody's approach to advancing themselves in their career with pass rush moves uh, really catches my ear. So that's very cool stuff. Tell me what the best thing you have on ProFootballFocus.com. No, PFF.com. No longer the Pakistani Football <laughs> Federation. Uh, PFF.com. 
What do you have there that football fans should go read of yours? Well, fantasy football fans, we have a lot coming out right now. We're doing tiered you know, rankings by position, wide receiver, tight end, running back. And then on the NFL side, it's ranking season here at PFF. Yes. We're ranking pass rush units. We're ranking run defense, offensive line. We're going to do secondary or coverage units here in the future. We're doing a lot of stuff to prep people for the 2019 season. We want to level set before the, you know, the games actually start getting played of where we think or where we're projecting certain units to play. There's a lot of exciting stuff on the dot-com. Right and, and I love that at the end of the season, you often circle back and look at those again and say, okay, here's where we thought they were going to be, here's where they end up being, and it's really interesting to dig into why that happened. So there will be times where you know, you thought the Vikings offensive line would struggle, and then lo and behold, they did. <laughs> uh, but uh, that will be one that's fascinating to watch this year, is just whether the Vikings can outperform where you guys think they'll be on the offensive line and pass rush and things like that. So PFF.com, his name is Austin Gale, G-A-Y-L-E, uh, at PFF underscore Austin Gale on Twitter. Make sure you check him out there as well. So thanks, Austin. Appreciate your time, man. Great stuff. Of course, thank you. All right, we'll take a quick break, and maybe we'll hit one more division before we wrap up for the day. Three days here in Cincinnati. It's supposed to be super hot for our Reds game tonight, so I'm really excited about potentially dying in Cincinnati. (laughs) It's supposed to be 89 degrees at 8 o'clock at night. So, wonderful. All right. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here. This download brought to you by MyPillow. As we talked about on Mackie and Judd with Rami quite a bit yesterday, especially opening up the Twins' vent lines. Twins lose 14-4 to yesterday to the Mets, their third loss in a row. Well, that didn't get helped out yesterday after the Indians beat the Tigers 7-2 to lower the AL Central lead for the Twins. Down to four games now. Concerned? Frustrated? What do you think, Twins fans? Let us know at Score North on Twitter. Also, check out Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's where Score North goes back in time and dives deep into some of the most prominent moments in Minnesota sports history, including Twins and Tigers game 163, Twins and A's from the 2002 ALDS, Kevin Love's 30-30 and 30 game, and Kevin Garnett's dominating game 7 against Sacramento. It's called Minnesota Sports Rewind on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Back here for one more segment. Austin Gale's going to stick around. Eric Eager, we have about five minutes, so we should just pick a random division, of course, and talk about it. Uh, Best bet for the AFC West. You are an Oakland Raiders fan, Austin. How's that going to work out for them? (laughs) Maybe not so great. Yeah, born and raised in Oakland, so I had season tickets with my dad for about eight years before going to San Diego State for college. I don't know how the Raiders are going to go. I think Hard Knocks will be fun. John Gruden will make it fun. Antonio Brown, Mr. Big Chest, if you will. Richie Incognito, (laughs) Vontae's perfect. I think there's a lot of personalities there for sure. You just laid out all the reasons why they're not going to do anything. That is... One way to put it is personalities. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay, so I am fascinated by Oakland because I don't believe in their quarterback, but I think that John Gruden gets a lot of undue flack. Uh, He goes there in a situation that is just flat-out bad, and the first thing that gets done is the trade of Khalil Mack. So he looks like a fool because Khalil Mack is unbelievable. I think in hindsight, it's a great trade. You get first-round picks. You don't have to pay a defensive end $20 million to help you get from four wins to five wins or six or something, right, last year. And it bolsters your rebuild. And and now I think that they're in a great place where they can compete and really decide whether Derek Carr is their guy or not. 
Oh, absolutely. They've set the stage for Derek Carr to make it or break it, you know, sink or swim. Adding Antonio Brown, you know, when they, as they did in the offseason, made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history, spent a first round pick on Josh Jacobs. Yeah. They've done a lot to this added Tyrell Ty Williams. Williams. Yeah. They've done so much to this offense to say, hey, Derek Carr, if you can't win with this, if you can't look good with this surrounding cast, there's no way we can go into Vegas with you in 2020. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Will it work? I'm not sure. I'm, just, I, I'm with you in terms of Derek Carr maybe not being the guy. Mm-hmm. Look at his clean pocket passing grade. Has never ranked above 15th in the NFL. Really? And that, and wow. that, and that includes his 2016 season that was MVP caliber before he broke his leg. Sure. From, A lot of checkdowns that year. Absolutely. Under pressure that season, he was one of the best in the NFL. But as we've seen, Eric Eager can speak to this best. Under pressure play at the quarterback position is very volatile. Mm-hmm. You can rank yeah. in the top five one year like Case Keenum of the Minnesota Vikings, or in the bottom half of the NFL the following year. And that's exactly what's happened with Derek Carr. His clean pocket passing grade, however, has remained relatively consistently average. Eric, uh, we know how you feel about Denver, which is not high, but the tough one for me here, I think anytime you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be good, regardless of circumstance, that he's just going to get you to the playoffs. It's are they winning 10 or are they winning 13, I don't know, with, Mm -hmm. with his career. Los Angeles Chargers are hard for me because they have a phenomenal roster, but you could see the age bus just running over Phillip Rivers, and they don't have the offensive line to really help him out. Well, and the the other thing is that the Chargers just seem to be a team that there's always something goes wrong with them, right? And last season was the one time in which things just didn't completely collapse for them. I think Anthony Lynn's a good coach, but not necessarily a great like tech tactician um philip rivers as you said you know he's had great years like 2013 and 2008 and 18 but he's also had like 2015 16 all those sort of in there if you wanted my best bet for this division it is the chargers at under nine and a half wins you're going to get plus money to bet that and i think it happens more than 50 percent of the time um again much like we talked about with you know some other teams on the forecast, but also earlier in this uh, in this show, it doesn't mean they're going to be a disaster. They could just do what they did in 2017 and finish nine and seven, and that bet cashes. So uh, they could even make the playoffs, and that bet cashes. So that's my favorite bet for the for the AFC West. I think the Chiefs sort of are at that 10, 11 win range. Uh, the Chargers are really one where I think the market overvalues them. Yeah, with uh, any time you have Andy Reid coaching a team, I would put them down for double-digit wins anyway. I mean, yep. they have the worst. See, this is the thing is, oh, well, Mahomes is going to regress a little. But that defense has to get better. I mean, you add Tyron Matthew yep. and a different human being calling the plays on defense. I think even if they're 20th, that's how many points yes. is that worth from being like dead last. So I've still got Kansas City to win that. And Oakland maybe to be second. Is that a hot take if Oakland is second? If Oakland is second, a lot of people are going to get fired in Denver. <laughs> okay. I would say that is a hot take. I would say that is a hot take, largely because of that charge. I think the Chargers are going to be competing for that second-place spot, and Denver, I think, has more of a stable quarterback maybe than Derek Carr is. Good I think defense, that, too. A good defense as well, and I think that offensive line is chock-full of potential. They bring in Mike Munchak. They have Connor McGovern in year two at center. Oh, yeah. He had yeah. to replace Matt Paradis in week nine and was terrible. I like Reisner, too. Reisner at guard. You mm-hmm. bring in Juwan James from Miami, who's been good, not great his entire career, which is good in the NFL. So I think there's a lot there with that offensive line. It could live up to potential under Munchak. Eric Eager, Austin Gale, thank you guys for your time. We'll do tomorrow as well here from Cincinnati, the Pro Football Focus offices. If you missed any of the show, go to wherever you get your podcast. Type in Purple Daily, and you can listen to all of our content here from the PFF offices in Cincinnati. We will catch you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.